Oh, man. That was such a fun time with you guys. Um, for those of you who weren't able to make it, this was just a snapshot and also an invitation to next year. We want you guys to be a part of that. It's such a wonderful time where we spend our entire days uh, goofing off, you know, playing games, dropping from a swing, um, and it's just a joy. And so if you weren't able to make it this past year, please come make it a priority. Put it on your calendar, August 10th through 13th next year. We'd love to see you up there. Um, yeah, well, my name is Jack. I'm actually um, one of the pastors around here. Uh, if you don't know me, I actually normally am doing what my uh, friend Gary was doing this morning, um, but I have an opportunity now to uh, take you into the text um, and walk you through um, some findings. And so would you please uh, pull out your Bible, turn to Mark 2, 23 through 28. Mark 2, 23 through 28, and read with me. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he, being Jesus, said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God at the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man uh, for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's pray as we enter into this text. Father, as we enter your word this morning, let it have a lasting impact on our lives. We believe that you have said these words, uh, but that they were written for our benefit. May we be convicted and eager to live a life that represents you uh, and represents this kingdom you've established, um, that of which we are children and citizens. Amen. To catch you up, we've been in a series called The Kingdom of God is Like, taking various parables and teachings of Jesus, walking through the text. We discover more about this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And in short, we're discovering about this king, forming a people to his rule and reign. And this week, I was given the opportunity to speak on the king's rest. For those of you who don't know, uh, my wife Meg and I, who was playing keys this morning, uh, have been on this journey for two years trying to practice Sabbath. So it goes that this Sunday is actually a very meaningful text, one that I'm very excited to share with you. My big aim this morning, if you hear nothing else, hear this, the Sabbath is for you. The Sabbath is for you. <clears throat> to begin, we set the stage Jesus and his followers, otherwise known as disciples, were going from one location to another, hence the, as they made their way, and the followers began to pluck some grain. Um, and the sister passage, Matthew 12, 1 through 8, expresses that the disciples were hungry. Um, they were picking grain to eat, so maybe the modern-day equivalent is, um, I'm on my way to church or to my job, and I pick up a quick trip chicken sandwich because I'm hungry. Um, but maybe a little different in the sense that uh, it was often common, uh, common culture to 
leave the edges of the grain field unharvested, unharvested for the poor and in need. So it was a free chicken sandwich from the <laughs> generous clerk uh, behind the counter. Verse 24, And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So this is kind of an interesting accusation. The specifics, aside from do no work, given in the Ten Commandments, are way more vague than what they are alluding to. Um, some scholars have guessed that maybe the Pharisees are indicating Deuteronomy 23:25, which says this, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to it. Um, which makes sense. Like if you're going to go into your neighbor's standing grain, don't put it, which I don't know if you, so I didn't know what a sickle was. So let me go into that for you guys. Sickle is like basically a harvesting tool. So um, you would just throw the sickle out and it would actually pop off all the grain heads. Um, And so basically it makes sense. No mass production on your friend or neighbor's field. But that specific law was kind of given under the caption miscellaneous laws. So it's not pertaining to specific Sabbath day. It could be, but it's not specific to the Sabbath day. Another guess that some other authors have um, wondered about is maybe there was some threshing. So maybe uh, they would take, you know, large portions of this grain and beat it on the ground, separating the stock and the grain. However, I don't think reading this text any way you slice it, I don't think that's what the the disciples were doing. I think if you just read it, especially looking at that Matthew, the sister passage, they were just plucking it with with the the grain from their heads. My point being this, the disciples and Jesus were genuinely innocent of the law. They They hadn't broken anything. Verse 25, and he, being Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Look how Jesus responds. He knows that he and his followers are not in the wrong, Yet he answers the accusation from a completely different angle. He does not just answer by quoting the original passage or maybe correcting their insights. He actually takes them to the passage where the law was really broken. Jesus is quoting from 1 Samuel 21, and according to many scholars, King David's eating of this bread was massively offensive. As Jesus expressed, it was specifically reserved for the high priests. One scholar said this, to eat the showbread um, was to eat God's bread in God's house as a friend and a guest of the Lord, enjoying his hospitality. In that culture, eating together formed a bond of friendship that was permanent and sacred. Eating the showbread was a powerful way of saying, Lord, I love you. I seek your face. I'm in your presence, and I want to be transformed by seeing your face. Now, post-Christ's death and resurrection, this is absolutely an invitation to all um, to be in the Lord's presence, enjoying his hospitality, hospitality, and specifically speaking to him, allowing him to be transform, uh, allowing him to transform you. But remember, this is King David's time and rule and reign. At that time, the glory and holiness of the Lord 
would surely have killed anyone who is in the Lord's presence. And just a side note, right? David didn't die, thank goodness. Through him was the lineage of Jesus brought. So here, Jesus is responding to the Pharisees' accusation, which really wasn't any offense to begin. And Jesus reminds them of one of the greatest ancestry uh, kings in, uh, in their ancestry, and this huge offense that King David committed, not to mention that King David also gave this showbread to the soldiers who were with him, and then Jesus finishes his response with, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So there's two thoughts here. The first, the Sabbath is a gift. And then the second, he is reestablishing his kingship. So I'm going to go to the second thought first, and then I'll spend the rest of my time on the first thought. Why are the Pharisees even bringing up this whole ordeal? What's the purpose? What's the benefit? Notice just a few verses before this, the Pharisees questioned Jesus when dining. Verse 16, when the scribes and Pharisees saw that he was eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And just notice, right? The Pharisees don't even ask Jesus, but they ask his disciples. One commentary writes this, a feast of this size indicated here was probably held in the courtyard of a house, leaving the passers-by an opportunity to observe all that was done. For a long while, the Pharisees had opposed Jesus, and their cunning and craft are very evident here um, in their maneuvers here, to open a wedge between the Lord and his disciples. This attempt clearly exhibits the Pharisees' desire to tear down Jesus' momentum that he is gathering as he's establishing his kingdom. And then go after the main text, Mark 3, 1 through 2. It says this, Now he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse him, they, being the Pharisees, were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were literally watching him. They were, wanting, uh, they were waiting for him, looking for an opportunity to diminish his character. Why? Jesus had already used terms like the Son of Man. He even uses it in this passage, which is terminology hailing back to Daniel, basically saying, I am the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. And the Messiah was not hanging out with the Pharisees. Pay even closer attention to how angry Jesus is at the Pharisees regarding their posture. Mark 3, 5, he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Instead of God's law helping them have a greater love for the Lord and their community, the Pharisees began to worship their own obedience. And it was at the expense of loving the Lord and their community. One more time, right? Instead of God's law helping them love the Lord and their community, the Pharisees began to worship their own obedience and it was at the expense of loving the Lord and their community. And this, isn't a re this is a reoccurring theme, right? All the way back to the Old Testament, the people of God started doing their own thing, living a life that was not holy and pleasing to God, but rather holy and pleasing to self, to man, which is an ever-shifting ever target. So with the 
yeah, so with the, the, the rules as their gods and these documents as their promise, the Pharisees had this fully of expectation of the Messiah coming down and hanging out with them and applauding their efforts. They were, they were right, right? They were holding fast to the law. They were doing it correctly. They had this law knocked out of the park. They were, they were nailing it. And Jesus wasn't hanging out with them. These were God's chosen people, God's very own. He made a covenant with them and were keeping, they were keeping their end of the agreement. But who was Jesus hanging out with? He was hanging out with everybody else and more particularly the culturally disgusting. The prostitutes, the sinners, the leopards, the paralytics, the tax collectors, those who committed sexual adultery. And he was living a life so counterintuitive to the Pharisees, what they had expected. He was feasting wildly, drinking abundantly, healing extravagantly. You heard David mention this in a previous sermon, uh, that many at the time assumed Jesus to be a drunkard and a glutton because he was just partying the whole time. All of this, of course, was absolutely unacceptable for the Pharisees. The king, they knew, was supposed to come down, appreciate all of their hard work, but instead the laws upon laws upon laws that they had passed actually inhibited life, which Jesus wasn't about. So their response, destroy him. Mark 3, 6, look to strip Jesus of his credibility and dethrone him. And Jesus' response to that in verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. His response, reestablish his kingship. Now to the first point, the Sabbath is for you. So if the Sabbath is not supposed to be a bunch of rules and regulations, restrictions, what is it supposed to be according to Jesus? Looking again at Mark 3, 1 through 5, we see Jesus, he goes and heals people on the Sabbath, which if you think about it, is a form of work. And his response is key. Mark 3, 4, and he said to them, is it lawful um, on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save a life, or to kill. The sister passage, um, Matthew 12, 11 through 12, maybe captures this a little better. It says this, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is man, is a man, than a sheep? And I just picture Jesus, right? He's so frustrated at the Pharisees and their logic that they would not even consider helping their community on this Sabbath. For Jesus, it does look like doing things. It doesn't seem like Jesus is interested in the rules. It seems like he is for joy. It sounds like he's interested in spending the Sabbath time giving and healing and eating with friends and journeying. But it's also important to note he also is interested in this lifestyle of rest just look at the amount of times that Jesus finds solitude and gives his concerns over to his Father. He reflects with the Father regarding his work both in the past and in the future, especially when we see this as he's saying, Lord, take this cup from me. 
Notice, too, this rhythm of rest and reflection with God is fixed into the creation story. God did this reflection with himself. He did all of the work of creating everything, and then on the seventh day, he said, he rested and said, it is good, which is a beautiful practice to actually pause in your week and look back on the work that was done, whether by the Lord or in your own, in your own world, and be thankful and say it is good. And then the next book over, Exodus 20, when the Israelites are moving out from slavery, restarting their independence, and God helps them by establishing some common rules that everyone should live by. God writes this through Moses, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy or set apart. God reminds them, I labored six days and rested on the seventh, so also you should labor six days and rest on the seventh. My point is, in illustrating all this, is the importance of rhythm of rest. And that fixed into our rest should be these times spent with God, whether in reflection or in awe of his work or in your life. And just think about like where God places that command. It's up there next to do not murder, do not steal, do not commit sexual adultery. God cares a lot about rest. Some scholars have branched out to say that these aren't simply a list of commands that the Lord had given for Israel, but rather, rather the Lord is revealing his heart to his people. That buried in these commands is actually a blueprint for living a life that is filled with the most joy, hope, and peace. And if that's true, isn't that the best gift? A map, a compass that for us to follow and help us lead to this fullness of life that can be found in him. And regardless of whether that's true or not, Jesus' words are very clear in verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for us. We weren't made for the Sabbath's consumption, but we were rather made to delight in the Sabbath. The Pharisees had twisted this and put rules to follow and placed line after line after line in the sand until the Sabbath was no longer for man, but instead it became another day to work. Just different. Their work was abstaining from work, which is still work. Now, I want to shift and speak to our current 2022 culture, mostly because I think we all know we are very terrible at resting. Our current culture prides itself on exhaustion. John Mark Homer, a pastor out in Portland, Oregon, who has done extensive work on this topic of rest, and in particular, like the books and his teachings, guys, it's fantastic. It's been life-changing for us. He expresses this, and I think it's, I think it's right, rightly that our culture is built around exhaustion. He points out that even mattress companies, food companies, drug companies, clothing, vacation, makeup, all of it is around rest. Just go to the Bahamas. You'll, you'll, be, rest, you'll be rested there. Just eat this, you'll sleep really well. Just take z because, like, man, that'll knock you out. I know that you have a hard time resting. 
And I think it's even interesting too, because it's also like this badge of honor. Like if I'm, if you were to ask me, Jack, how you doing? And I go, oh yeah, I'm so well rested. Like I feel great. I slept really well. I'm managing my time very well. I feel really good. That's a weird response in our culture. What feels more normal is if you were to say, Jack, how you doing? And I go, yeah, I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm, I'm having a hard time like keeping track of my time. I got a lot on my plate. That feels more normal. R.C. Sproul, a founder of Ligonier Ministries and author of various books, he did a lecture on this topic and he said this, things have changed dramatically in our culture with respect to Sabbath observation. I remember in my own lifetime, just a boy growing up in Pennsylvania, that I never heard the sound of a lawnmower on Sunday. Crazy. I remember that when I grew up, every store in town was closed except for one on the Sabbath, and the one store that was open was the drugstore, and the only part of the drugstore that was open was the pharmacy. The soda fountain was closed. And even then, it was only open for a short period of time just to meet the necessary emergency requirements of medicine. Now, that's not something that took place in the third century. We're talking about something that happened in the middle of the 20th century. How different of a life we live today. As I read that, like, what thoughts came to your mind? Did you picture what he was picturing? Did you imagine all that he was illustrating? Or maybe you saw the opposite, like I'm able to go to Walmart at midnight or just order from Walmart at midnight because nothing is ever closed. Even if a store or a restaurant takes one day off, we chastise them relentlessly. Thank you, Chick-fil-A. When I worked at Amazon Warehouse the first couple months of marriage, I worked the night shift, and the only time that the building was ever shut down was when it got hit by lightning, and even then it was only shut down for an hour. The culture we live in is nonstop consumerism. It's kind of a prison. And Christ says, the Sabbath is for you. Another Jesus tagline is this, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So how do we embrace this gift that frees us from this culture around us? Another helpful template, uh, template that comes from John Mark Homer is this mindset of practice. So as I give these application points, don't think of legalism or like what the Pharisees think. You know, don't, don't self-shame when you don't do so well. Um, always thinking, uh, thinking of it as a practice, as a journey. Much like when I lift with uh, Brian's defile, I trust that just give it time, patience, a little bit of energy, I might be able to lift like half of what he can lift, which would be a great accomplishment. David uses this phrase all the time, and I've become more and more in love with it. The journey continues. And I've watched him use this both in celebratory times and when talking about hardships. I hope we never say as a church, I failed. I must really stink at uh, resting. I never want to do it again. But rather, when we don't do so well on a day, we continue to practice, believing that we will get better as the journey continues. So the Sabbath is for us. It's Jesus' gift to us. How do we embrace this gift? Do you have time that you can begin to set aside 
with the Lord in the stillness and restfulness on a particular day. If you don't have the ability to take a whole day, do you have the ability just to take an hour or five minutes even? How can you create time for rest? Now, no shame, especially no guilt. If this is something that seems so unattainable and you just can't even picture making this an effort in your life, that's okay. The Sabbath is for you. It's a gift. It's not meant to feel obligatory. Um, and if it does feel obligatory, continue to look to Jesus. It's, and not the Pharisees, it's an invitation. A day where you can sit with your spouse, with your community, with your kids, or if you're an introvert, to sit alone and enjoy the beauty of a park. Or as fall comes, to sit with some cocoa and read, some, read a good book. Fred once spoke about this discovery of unhurried time with the Lord during his sabbatical, which I think is a beautiful picture of Sabbath. Meg and I, though we've failed a lot as of late, um, we have this practice, this rhythm where we sit down on Sunday evenings, being that Monday is my day off, we start on the Sunday evenings, we light these candles, they burn for three hours. They are, they're known as Shabbat candles, and if you don't know what that means, um, so like in Jewish customs, they had things called Nisans, which was basically our equivalent of a day. And instead of running from midnight to midnight, it would run from evening to evening. So the evening of one day actually represented or like symbolized or led into what the next day would look like. So when Shabbat would come or Sabbath, People would come, they would light these candles in the evening, and they would rest, effectively making sleep one of the very first things you did on your day of rest as part of this Jewish custom. Now, this could seem pharisaical, but our goal, again, when we did this, was practice. We were looking at Exodus 20, remembering that line that says, Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy or set apart. It's a blessing to receive this day. So for Meg and I, we've tried to make this a rhythm in our home. Being that on Monday is my day off, we take the Sunday evening, we burn these candles, we turn off our phones, turn off the TV, and we play a board game. Or we read. Right before bed. Now, like I've said, we've failed at this a lot. Uh, sometimes like I even get home and I'm like, we don't even light the candles or like we forget and I just, we watch TV. All that being said, it's a practice and a journey. Please don't feel obligation, but rather just hear it's a gift. The Sabbath is for you. So do you have time that you can begin to set aside to rest in him? If you were in women's ministry this past year, you may have heard this um, idea from Kelly Mentors. If you work with your hands, you may find yourself resting with your head. And if you work with your head, you may find yourself resting with your hands. This is kind of cool because I see this in my life. After an entire day of being on the computer, all I want to do is just go out and be active, to go longboarding or go hiking or go disc golfing, which I'm not nearly as good as Tyler or <laughs> Sean Klimek. They're just amazing. Um, but I like it. I like going out and being active. For Meg, I've noticed that we'll get to Monday sometimes, and Meg will spend the entire day uh, on the couch. She doesn't move 
from the couch, <laughs> which uh, some of you may think is a spiritual gift. I'm a little bit alarmed sometimes, like it's a little concerning. All this to say, my second encouragement would be this, find the thing that truly helps you rest. So point one, do you have time where you can begin to set aside for rest? Point two, do you have the thing that you can begin to rest with that will truly help you rest? Not just binging TV, although if that's like a family rhythm where you get together and you watch the next episode of Obi-Wan or like whatever, like that's great. Like keep doing that. Star Wars is amazing. Highly recommend it. (laughs) I remember my father, who's actually here today, um, had made a habit of doing laundry every Monday. That was his day off and he would do laundry. That was his way of entering into rest. It, feel, it felt good at the end of the day to have that accomplished, but it wasn't his regular rhythm of rest or of work. It was, it was a piece of work that was outside of the norm. Brene Brown, a psychologist and researcher, did a study on a people group that she called wholehearted. Basically, um, people who exhibited Galatians 5 um, kind of Mannerisms, so you're people that are like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. She would call those people wholehearted. Now, to preface, I'm not entirely sure she's a believer, but I think her work is still really noteworthy. She mentions that one of the most important trademarks of a wholehearted person is that they both play and rest. A definition she gave for play was the peak of when you lose track of time and self-consciousness that you look up and hours have passed when it felt like minutes, and that you have no idea how you look. Like you completely lost track of how foolish you actually look because you're so enveloped in the thing. This is how Sabbath is for you. Find the thing that truly helps you rest, that you become, you know, fully enveloped, that hours pass when it felt like minutes, and it feels very good at the end of the day. Because I don't know about you, binge-watching Netflix at the end of an entire season, I feel not rested at all. I feel more restless than I did when I started. Lastly, and I think this is um, something that's really, really valuable and something I, I just can't emphasize enough. Resting is done both with people and without people. So to recap, right? Set aside time regularly. Do you have the thing that truly helps you find rest? Do you have people with which you can rest? Um, And do you have places that you can go to be with your father alone? So I think this is really, really sweet. I want to just jump back to the text just for one quick moment, just to point out Jesus and his disciples were actually um, together on the Sabbath day. They were not off all Sabbathing alone. They were Um, you know, so like all the introverts in the room, you can release your deflated sigh, you know, like this is your time to feel defeated. But even more, right? So they were were together and they were eating. Like, yes, it might have been just a Sunday afternoon snack, but still that's something to note. They were enjoying a meal with one another in the midst of rest. You cannot just do Sabbath alone, but you also just can't do Sabbath in community. I'm sorry to say to my fellow extroverts, but it's true. Multiple times throughout Jesus' ministry, he would leave to be alone with the Father. 
modeling your rest after Jesus' example, taking time to be in solitude and in community is so valuable. In solitude is where you can connect with the Lord, talk about that really tough week you had, where he gives you words of encouragement and he sounds so clear because you've turned out the entire world. And in community is where you find that you are sharpened. Yes, encouragement happens there too, but even more so, your friends process with you. They pray over you and they cheer you on. So to recap, find time to set aside, to do what the Father modeled, reflect on your work week, to do good and be filled with the joy in Jesus, to spend time with God. Again, no legalism. We do not want to rest like the Pharisees, drawing lines in the sand that we don't ever cross, making efforts that only please ourselves. Rest is for us. It's a gift and one that continues to shape who we are. Find the thing that truly helps you rest. Do you have it? You may not know what it is at the moment, and you'll discover it months later. And sometimes that will also shift. Maybe you found the thing and it provides a lot of rest, but at some point it becomes not so restful anymore. For me, house projects, love them. Monday was the time to completely tear out all of the wires in my basement. It is no longer fun. <laughs> it is no longer restful. And that's okay. Like I said, like Megan and I have been journeying on this for two years. It's a beautiful practice. And finally, Rest is done both in community and in solitude. Find time in those extended moments as you're setting that time aside to be in community and to be alone with the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, that you are a God who gives good gifts to his children, the people who he's adopted into his family, and that rest gets to be one of them. We don't have to follow this world that is constant, 24-7, nonstop. But we get to truly sit, reflect, cherish in the work that you've given us, both past and present, and, to fu and the future. Would you help us live more like citizens of this kingdom that you are continuing to establish and build and one day call home? Amen.